Good afternoon, people. You're listening to Global Chat Radio, coming from Perth, Western Australia. My name is Harry, Harry Mithen, and I'm here to introduce a new program which we're going to call Friday Forum 425. The plan is to have a forum-type chat session with different guests each time who've got a story to tell us. Well, we believe that everyone has a good story to tell. And we'll be broadcasting, hopefully, on the first Friday of each month, as is today, and and, the, and on the third Friday too, from 4pm to 5pm. So that's how we get our name, 4 to 5, Friday Forum 4 to 5. And that, of course, is for the time for listeners here in Western Australia, 4 to 5. Just when people might be driving home from work or school or maybe going for a walk in the park, maybe with their podcasts in their ears, uh, maybe at home preparing the evening dinner, whatever. So we'll be chatting away with a touch of music here and there from 4 to 5. But of course, it's global chat radio. So if you are a listener in New Zealand or the Philippines or even USA, it may not be 4 or 5 o'clock there, but that's what it is here in beautiful Perth in the springtime, WA. So here's my first guest, and it's my good wife, Heather. Good afternoon to you, Heather. Well, good afternoon to you also, Harry, though we have um, seen each other before today. Uh, But I have a question for you immediately. How come you started with didgeridoo music? Well, the idea of the didgeridoo music is because uh, we, during our programs ahead, we are planning to talk quite a bit about the first Australians. As we know, this is a multicultural radio station. It's representing the Western Australian Multicultural Association. And I think it's pretty fair to put in quite a bit about the first Australians and their culture before we discuss, you know, cultures from other countries. So um, we're looking forward particularly next uh, fortnight, for example, we go to Curtin University in Western Australia and we'll be hearing from the director, the manager of the Aboriginal Studies in, <coughs> excuse me, in um, Curtin University, a lady called Veronica, and also a guest from her, uh, an Indigenous person who's done enormous amount of research uh, into Aboriginal culture, and her name is Carol. So we're looking forward to that, Heather. That is very good. Uh, I look forward to hearing all about it. I'm especially looking forward to hearing uh, from the guest next week. Yes, Heather. And now... Our global chat radio is located here in Tuart Hill, which is a suburb of Perth. What do you know about this particular building, Heather? 
I don't know so much about the building, but I know a lot about the district, that it was a farming district and was first taken up uh, in 1840. Mm. Um, I think two and a half uh, hectares was taken up by Mr. Walters. Uh, and it was named Chewett Hill because of the an enormous number of Chewett trees that became uh, a real landmark to the district. Mm. Uh, sadly, many of those and most of those are beautiful Chewett trees have now gone. Uh, in 1872, a road was built to Wanneroo. And, of course, that became Wanneroo Road. In 1905, Mr Walters sold the land, and I think it was mostly farmland at that time with uh, dairy farms, uh, maybe poultry farms, um, but it was certainly farmland. But in 1905, Mr Walters sold the land to developers and uh, slowly it became developed into um, housing lots. Of course, the Chewett Hill Primary School has been in existence for over 100 years. They've uh, celebrated their centenary, um, so it was built for those early settlers. Um, following World War II, uh, these farms were slowly disappeared and the government uh, bought land and developed it for the ex-servicemen that were turned after the war. And many smallish homes were built and sadly mostly built of asbestos because no one knew that asbestos was so dangerous. And there are still the odd ones uh, still still surviving. Um, and so the Chewett Hill has developed. Chewett Hill High School, where we're sitting now, I think was uh, built around in the 1950s. And people came, uh, students came from as far afield as Wembley and I guess um, Yokine, many areas um, before other schools like Mount Lawley and Churchlands were built. This was the spot for many people to come to. Um, so that's what I know about Chewett Hill. I have lived here for in my home, which is not built of asbestos, since 1958 when I came as a young bride and still living there and loving it. Heather, that's a great history of uh, the district. Thank you. Um, so Heather, of course, was married uh, to, a, <clears throat> to a wonderful man, uh, Victor, who, and he and Heather had, was it four children, Heather? Four children, yes. Mm -hmm. And some of those went to school here at Chewett High School? Yes, uh, Two and three would have gone to high school here, except sadly the school closed down as a high school just when he was about to start school. And in the meantime, um, 
the, the college has been leased. The education department has leased this college to a number of organisations, including ourselves, the Western Australian Multicultural Association, including the Global Chat Radio, where we are now. But also there are groups like a West Australian football team organisation is here. We've got um, a group called the Grief Counselling, uh, who are doing a wonderful job with help with um, researching and trying to prevent suicide, particularly youth suicides. Uh, we've got secondary school teachers meeting here as well. And I think we've got the Dante Association, another multicultural group meeting here as well. So it's used uh, quite a bit now. And um, School for Your Children, Heather, they, they, as you say, they came here and uh, you pro they probably made lots of friends. They certainly did and uh, have kept those friends in many cases. Heather, our friend, our, sorry, uh, our, our neighbour for a long time now is Franco, Franco Smargiassi. He's our global chat radio boss and, he, it come, uh, and uh, that comes under the umbrella of the WAMA, as I said before. The, the, the West Australian Multicultural Association is very, it's, it's a very big organisation here in, here in Perth. I'm going to talk to Franco later on and uh, I'm going to ask him how many different groups there are, um, how many events they organise during the year. It, it's a great way for keeping people of different cultures um, you know, together and informed. Heather, Heather, our neighbour, oh, I've done that bit. Uh, uh, but I do want to say this, Heather, and as you, as you know too, this multicultural association has always believed and they promulgate their strong belief, and that's this. We respect and honour all people from all lands and countries and all their cultures. Franco's got a special theme song for... Uh, the radio station here. It's called We Are One But We Are Many. Oh, that is a beautiful song and uh, it really tells the story of what we want to be in Australia. Mm -hmm. we, we, we want to be one. We, want, we welcome people to become one as Australians and yet we also respect and honour and learn from their cultures. That is right. Well, we hope we do. Um, I think it's up to us to learn from the cultures and sometimes uh, we're not open to doing this. Yes. So this is so important about multicultural radio stations that we can uh, teach people how important other cultures are and that we just aren't this island that is uh, kept away from the rest of the world. Thanks, Heather. Yes, very a very good point. Now, let's come... You know that I uh, have or had a mother who was from Dublin in Ireland. And uh, I want to t talk to you about her. And I think I've got a bit of Irish culture still in my DNA somewhere. You certainly have. <laughs> but I do want to ask you about your... Um, 
background and your ancestry. Where, where was your father from, for example? Well, my father was born in the United States of America, but his heritage is German. He, I think his probably grandfather uh, came as a migrant to um, United States, probably uh, in the 19th century. But uh, his father uh, was led to come to Australia in the 1903, I believe. And uh, so American and German on my father's side and my mother, who was born in South Australia, uh, she also had German heritage, but also from her mother, Scottish heritage. So quite a mix Quite a bit. And, and Heather, I've heard also, at least I know also, that uh, when you were about nine or ten years old, something very sad happened for you regarding your sister. Yes, my sister fell in love with an American sol sailor, or soldier really, a serviceman. And he took her away to America, where she lived for the rest of her married life, which was... Uh, over 50 years, had six children, many grandchildren, and but thankfully I saw her a few times in later years, but it was a great loss, as I'm sure would have happened to many migrants who came to Australia over the years, that they left families, started new lives over here. Heather, your sister's name was Ruth, was it? That is right. And when you were 10, she was, what, about 19 or something, was it? Yeah, almost 20. Uh-huh. And she married an American serviceman who, I think, was he involved in planes or something? Yes, he was uh, in the Catalinas. Uh, those are the ones on that uh, used to yeah, land on the Swan River? That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh -huh. Can you imagine just what the first Australians would have thought when they saw this great big bird, which was the Catalina, coming into land and gliding in onto the Swan River in Matilda Bay? They would have been absolutely terrified. Well, Heather, that's a good point, and that's time for us, I think, to go back to our original music of the first Australians.
so Heather that, that that just brings to mind doesn't it it brings to mind how those first Australians must have been devastated and um, we'll come back to that we'll come back to that in next in next fortnight's um, show but but could we just come back to talking about how your father would go down to the Fremantle port and he would be meeting people who have come from war-torn countries in Europe so so Heather I just want to come back to how multicultural multiculturally minded your father was in those early days he was very multicultural culturally minded because he spoke pure German uh, having been brought up in uh, the household where German was spoken in his early youth and he also lectured in German at the university for 15 years so German came very naturally to him so when the first migrants came to the land, to Australia, and my father was a pastor of the Lutheran Church, and of course many of these migrants were of the Lutheran faith, and my father would go down to the wharf, meet the ships, and he often had some oranges. And there are some migrants who remember him today in their 90s, Pastor Grabner came and gave us an orange. Well, well. And from then on, he uh, was uh, a faithful person who, um, who, yes, made friends with them and spiritually fulfilled them. Yeah. And from that, it gave me a wonderful knowledge of multicultural affairs. And Heather, what you've told me in the past is that not only was he a very faithful pastor, bringing the, well, you know, the Christian message to, to many people, but I think you told me once that he, when the people, the migrants came off the boats, I think he helped them with perhaps accommodation, uh, going up to the northern camps and um, perhaps even finding them jobs. I think you told me that once. Well, I, I think he did. He was certainly a great friend to them, yes. And that's a good practical way of showing your, um, you know, your faith in practice, isn't it? Yes. Heather, can I tell you a little bit about my mother from Ireland? You can. Well, mum was from Ireland. She came out here with her brothers and sisters when she was only about 15. And she had come from Harold's Cross in Dublin and they were looking for, you know, some sort of adventure or some sort of a new life. Uh, Mum's own parents had died very young and she was in the care of an aunt. So when they came to Australia, Mum got a job in Melbourne as a telephonist and she worked there. She loved coming to uh, Melbourne. She loved uh, the atmosphere of, of the busy life in Melbourne. And um, she eventually met my father, who was a, a, a chef and uh, had been a, a, an office worker. 
uh, from Ararat in, in northern Victoria. So that was the beginning of um, sort of the Irish-Australian connection for my for my mum and dad. Now later, later when I I had there were six of us brothers and sisters, and we went to schools that where we were surrounded by Irish families, Irish people. So there was there was a lot of um, Irish connection for us there as well. And later on, when I actually entered the ministry myself, just like your father did, Heather, and in the ministry we had many uh, fathers and priests and brothers who were Irish, so we had a big Irish connection there as well. Amen. While you were talking, uh, Harry, I was just thinking what a multicultural family ours became because uh, my older sister, of course, she married a Swedish-American. My older brother married a Russian a migrant from, the, from Europe. And I married a Pole also a migrant from war-torn Europe. So we became a very multicultural family. And so our children have a great mix of genes. They do indeed. And Heather, one other just last little thing on this point, on this uh, matter, was um, when I was doing my studies um, in a seminary, we were we travelled we travelled through South Africa, so we lived amongst the Zulu people for seven years. Um, we were there in the times of apartheid. Uh, some of the colleagues that I was working with, some of my uh, peers, were had come from Afrikaans families, where there had been you know some kind of bigotry and um, difficulty for them to accept as equal, you know, the Zulu people or the Bantu people. So it was a great seven years, apart from our studies and our um, uh, sort of training to become priests, we, we, we had a great, ex- we had many great experiences of holiday time, living in little Zulu villages, finding out and getting to know people who were, um, you know, indigenous to the country. So I think that gave us all a lot more understanding of the apartheid, uh, the the apartheid side of things, but also a great understanding that no matter how rich or how poor you were, we are all like our multicultural society says now. We've all got our own cultures. We've all got our own uh, humanity, and um, that helps us to, to 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 treat all people as brothers and sisters. But wouldn't it be just wonderful, Harry, if we could all appreciate all the different cultures and learn, listen to their stories, and particularly from living in Australia, learning and listening to the stories of our first people in Australia. I think that would be wonderful if we could do that. There is so much more of that happening now too, isn't there? Um, when we were at school, 
we all we heard about the Aborigines was that they were one of the most uncivilized savages on this planet. Uh, a lot of the um, early terrors that the Aborigines had to uh, face up to when the um, when the British people came here, uh, it was so difficult for them. Um, Look, let's play a little bit more of our music, and I've got a good story. I've got. I want to ask you to read out a good story that you've just written for a magazine. After our little bit of music. Heather, I've got some good news for you. Shortly, we are going to have in the studio here our local Member of Parliament. And just before he comes, and he'll be here shortly, I really liked a story that you wrote, and it was called How Good Is Friendship? And I think there's a connection there with how we cope and how we deal with um, you know, multi- the whole multicultural... Would you like to read it out? Yes, I'll do that. Over the years, I have played the organ for so many worship services at our church. And in between turning music sheets, preparing stops and keys on the pipe organ and keeping an eye on my TV monitor trying not to miss a beat, well, in between, my mind has travelled maybe a thousand miles, not overseas or interstate, but so often down below the choir loft and looking at the backs of our St John's people. Distracted, you might say. Yes, I confess confess it often is. But nearly always the distraction is when I might see a young mum, think about her and hubby and hope for a minute or two about how they're coping. They're battling financially or she's suffering constant back pain They're going through all sorts of things, but how brave they are. Still trying to be good parents, still having to work many long hours, whether at home or in the car, driving somewhere to the workplace. She and he still loving and helping each other through thick and thin. Every one of these people down below, they've all got a story, all got a life, all got ups and downs, all got varying degrees of confidences, faith, doubt, support. I think of one, my eye running along the seat and seeing another and another. Then it's time for the next hymn. And when I'm driving home, I'm thinking, how good is friendship? How good is being a person in this life, having family, having friends, travelling along the journey together? 
But for six months or so now, life has changed a lot. Things are very different. It's been good to take time to reflect, especially about my friends and our friends. Although isolation has been a sometime unwelcome visitor this year, it's also helped somehow. There have been some funerals, yes, a time to celebrate a life, but also realise how little I really knew about that person's life's of ups and downs, of the journey of that person in the coffin. I love the friendship of friendship. That is the Wednesday group at St John's who meet about fortnightly for prayer, discussion and a lively, friendly lunch, chat and catch up. If there ever was a group of mainly senior sits who have a story to tell, it's the people at Friendship Group. Back in the choir loft, I'm looking down on that one inspirational person, also from Friendship Group, who years ago decided on a plan, a mission really, Her name is June. She decided to start campaigning to get people to write the stories of others. And there have been a number of books or booklets written. She is motivated by her wonderful idea of friendship. Everyone, just everyone has a story and she wants them to tell it. And if you end up reading one of the books, you'll see that June is right. Just ask Harry. Recently he read two of these books, life stories of two different friendship people he has known for years as St John's members. And he ended up using a lot of tissues as he was weeping. He had no idea of what a life they'd led beforehand. Yes, about their ups and downs. Amazing courage, amazing characters they were and are, but he hadn't really known them before. Writing and reading and talking about each other and their stories, it's wonderful and even life-changing. How good is friendship? Thank you, Heather. Thank you very much for that. And Heather is just left leaving the studio now. And we have another young man coming into the studio, and we're very privileged to welcome the WA government member for Belcatta, a young man who's going to. We've asked him. We've asked David. David Michael. David. We've asked David to tell us a, a story. A story about himself, about his um, career, about his family, and and so on. So, David, you're very welcome. Thank you, Harry. It's great to be here, especially in Chewer Hill in the electorate of Balcatta. 
And as a Chilled Hill boy, it's um, it's even better to be here at uh, Global Chat Radio. Good on you, David. And um, you've I know that you've got a big um, ancestry or history of uh, DNA in um, with people in multicultural. We're, we're in the multi, multicultural office of WA at the moment too. And, um, and you've got a great history of that. Could you tell us a bit about your ancestors? I can. Um, it's one thing that I don't get a lot of time to look into anymore, but I do have a, uh, an Ancestry.com account and I keep my um, family tree in check when I can and I, I try to research when I have some time. Um, like most Australians, I'm a bit of a mongrel. I probably should start on my, <laughs> on my dad's side. Dad's, dad's Australian um, and obviously I was born in Mount Lawley, so I'm West Australian myself. Mm. Um, and... Uh, on Dad's side, we have a couple convicts, back a, a gentleman or a young bloke by the name of Thomas Forrester, who came to New South Wales in 1822 um, from Birmingham, and um, uh, Mary Ryan, who's a very Irish name, from, I think, Limerick in Ireland in 1828. Both of them uh, didn't didn't have the, um, the uh, very serious crimes that they committed. I think mm. one was a watch, a watch for a... Um, uh, for a burglary, so didn't even go in themselves. Both got sent to Australia for the rest of their lives, um, and thankfully they made a life of it. I think Thomas became a confectioner, so um, uh, mm. in uh, in Windsor, in New South Wales. Um, uh, so from then onwards, uh, in my family tree, uh, in waves of migration in the 1850s, I have a couple more um, uh, immigrants from uh, Ireland who came out during the potato famine. Uh, who are, I think they were in, indented um, uh, in terms of they, they came out and then had to work for years to pay off the passage to Australia. But they came out basically to save their life and their family, I'm, I'm presuming, uh, uh, two sisters came out to save their life from the, from the potato famine, the terrible time that was in mm. Ireland. Mm. Then I've got um, relatives from uh, a few more from Ireland, a few more from England. My dad's grandfather was born in Glasgow in Scotland uh, and they came out to Western Australia in uh, 1910, and he was a young bloke then. Uh, he ended up uh, serving in World War Two, uh, sorry, World War One, uh, and uh, was a guard on the West Australian Railways. But they were orchardists in um, Bedforddale originally when they came to Western Australia, uh, and as I said, he ended up on the government railway service. Um, uh, and then on my dad's side, I suppose so. That's all very, very Australian, having English, Irish, and Scottish. Uh, there was one ancestor, his name was Ezra Asher. Uh, he uh, came to Australia in about the 1870s. Uh, he was born in Sunderland in England, but his family uh, were all born um, in a little place called Margonen, which is now Poland at the time in Prussia, uh, and they were a Jewish family. And I think they were escaping uh, whatever persecution was going on there in the 1850s and 1840s in Prussia. And... At that time, uh, they settled in Sunderland, and um, um, this family story goes, he was a bit of a black sheep of the family, and came out uh, first to Sydney, where if, uh, I've searched his name on the newspaper record, and he got himself in a little bit of trouble, uh, thankfully escaped jail, and, and uh, met, a, met a good Catholic girl from Bathurst, whose first name was Australia, Australia Moxon, oh. uh, and they moved to Western Australia in about 1903. Uh, he had a hairdresser shop, 
and tobacconist store just across the road from the Perth railway station for 20 or so years, a bit of a Perth um, personality at the time. Uh, mm. Again, appears a lot in early records of the Sunday Times and the West Australian in the early part of the last century, um, uh, being in trouble with the law for running, running, well, one, for opening on a Sunday from time to time, and two, for running a, a bookie, um, an a SP bookie when he wasn't licensed to be an SP bookie. Um, mm. The good news is I do have a photo of him, which uh, him uh, having uh, being a proper book, bookie at Ascot Racecourse. Um, so that's Ezra Asher. He he um, he died um, well before I was born, but in our family, sort of a lot of stories about him, and I found a few more when I looked through the newspapers. So that's basically my dad's side. Um, my mum, though, is a little bit more simple. Um, she was not born here. My mum is from um, a small. Well, she was born in Helsinki in Finland, so she's Finnish, mm. um, 100% Finnish. Uh, she her hometown is a little place, um, probably halfway between Helsinki and the Arctic Circle, called Lapua. Um, which is a very small um, town, um, and she grew up there a lot of her time there. She came out to Australia on a, um, on a not a boat but a plane in 1969 as a 13-year-old. Um, the National Archive actually has um, the records of when they came out. It's all been um, made public, and as a 13-year-old, she does not look happy in the photo that the National Archive has of her. She was very unhappy coming to Australia and mm. leaving her friends and family behind. Mm -hmm. um, and the story be behind um, my mum and her family uh, is that um, her mum was from Lapua, but mum's dad um, came from a little town called Sortavala, which is in uh, a place in Finland called Karelia. And Karelia, that part uh, in 1946, when he was a young boy, uh, got ceded to the USSR. So they had a couple of days to give up the family farm, all their possessions, pack what they could and get behind the new Finnish border. Thankfully, thankfully for me, the Finnish government resettled him in Lapua. So he got to meet my grandmother. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here talking to you right now. So that's my family history in a, in a nutshell. So there you go. I should say, um, you mentioned DNA. I did do my DNA and it all checks out. I am about 50% Finnish. Um, mm. and, uh, but the interesting thing about my DNA is I'm in the 90th percentile. So I, I have more of this t kind of DNA than 90% of people of Neanderthal DNA. So you could say that I'm a little bit convict and a little bit caveman. David, David, that is amazing that you have got such a, a, a such a good memory for for all of that history. Have you written a book about it all yet? <laughs> I haven't written a book. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, my, my time commitments mean I won't be writing a book for a very long time. Yeah. I do in my family. I seem to. Um, I, I have a filing cabinet where, as as um, some of my grandparents or all of my grandparents now have passed away, I seem to be retaining the family photos and some of the family key family documents. Uh, I'm being entrusted with all those sorts of things. So maybe one day in yeah. retirement, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll write a book about my ancestors yeah and david it seems a close family like he, you're a local boy as we know um can you tell us a little bit about your growing up around Stuart hill here yeah so obviously uh my my dad went to primary school um at uh Chewett hill primary school and mm -hmm. Chewett hill senior high school the building that we're currently in mm -hmm. uh and he they moved into my, uh, lawley street in Chewett hill uh when uh, before i had my first birthday so I've got photos of my first birthday in the kitchen at Lawley Street in Shield Hill with a nice orange tiles. Um, so I turned 40 this year and I've never moved. So uh, in the same kitchen, whilst the tiles have been painted white, I know there's orange underneath, I had my 40th birthday um, and uh, in the same house. So I've basically uh, had uh, almost my entire life in the same house. Um, which is just an asbestos old war service home in, in Shield Hill mm -hmm. uh, and wouldn't move for quids, as mm. they say. 
went to Chudal Primary School uh, because this school had obviously closed in the early yeah. early eighties. Uh, I ended up going to Servite College, uh, which was down the road in mm-hmm. Chudal as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're at a very good school that I had five years at. Uh, in terms of studies, I went straight on to UWA and have a Bachelor of Economics uh, for th- my three years of studies. I started a Bachelor of Science uh, in website design back in the early 2000s, but I think my, the study had, uh, I think I, I, I had eight units to go and just never completed it. I, so I got mm. a job at that point, um, which I'll get onto, into, onto in a second, um, because I suppose that probably leads on a little bit to, um, to two things that have been big in my life. One is sport. And the other is obviously politics. So from a sporting point of view, uh, I got to like um, football and cricket, uh, probably when I was about eight, nine, ten years old. Um, Football was always always a bit rough for me to play. I I didn't really like the idea of playing, although I I played a few games later in high school for Mm -hmm. for Servite. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I love my Claremont Football Club and hope they win the grand final in a couple of days' time. I was an Eagle supporter once. Uh, I um, I made the switch to the Dockers when I was about 15 years old. I don't know if it was the most wisest decision I ever made, but you can't keep switching football teams. So I very much have purple blood now. Uh, and one of the things I did um, as a Claremont supporter is uh, my mum and dad wouldn't, wouldn't let me have the internet, which was dial-up internet back in the late 1990s until I'd graduated year 12. As soon as I graduated, had my last exam, I got the internet on at home and taught myself how to build a website. And for about 10 or 12 years, I ended up being the official website for the Claremont Football Club. So I just taught it myself. I designed it, maintained it, got information from the club and, and did all of that. That led on to, and I see Franco looking at me now in, with the uh, on the control panel, that that looked, that looked led to me being the PA announcer at Claremont Oval uh, mm. for a couple of years during waffle games. Mm. Uh, and that led to me, uh, the waffle used to employ a ground manager at every ground on a Saturday. Uh, to manage umpires, safety issues, any problem solving and troubleshooting that you needed to do on the day. Uh, so I did that for three or four years at Claremont Oval as well, where I'd have to get there at seven o'clock in the morning and check that the goalposts were straight and all that sort of stuff mm. and end at six o'clock at night, Colts, League, Reserves, the whole lot. Uh, so I did that uh, mm. until um, until it all got a little bit too much and uh, politics took over, which leads me to politics. Uh, exactly, David. Uh, mm. I come from... I would describe it as a Labor family. I'm sure some in my family would have not voted Labor from time to time, um, but it wasn't not politics wasn't a, a big talking point that I remember anyway as it, growing up. But I think generally a Labor family. I found out later through the family tree that I mentioned him before, my Scottish ancestor who went to World War One. In I found some articles in World, uh, in the late 1940s. He was. Uh, in the West Australian as being a member of the Labor Party, the Union and the Communist Party at the same time. So politics was in the family. I remember saying, Nan, was was your dad a, a communist? And she's like, yeah, they used to call us Reds at Belmay Primary School or something. So I'd, I didn't know. So clearly there was some some political bent in the family, but not it wasn't a, by, it wasn't a, a major thing. Uh, I joined the Labor Party and the Australian Republican movement on the same day, which was my orientation day at UWA in 1998. Uh, mm-hmm. Two very good decisions. I got involved in the Republic campaign was probably the thing I did most first because mm-hmm. uh, that was the referendum in 1999. Um, within a year, I'd, I was 19 years old, by the way. I was state secretary of the Republican movement through, during the referendum. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grades suffered terribly that year at university, as you could imagine. Um, so it remains a very, very sad 
day and night for me. The day we lost that, I think Australia would be a much more forward-looking country if we were a republic. And I think um, I go, being a member for Balgata, I go to a lot of events that are, well, I have a lot of Italian clubs um, and yeah. it always gives me a little, um, uh, I don't know, I, I get a little bit sad when we, I, someone has to stand up and toast to the, to the Republic of Italy and, and the people of Italy and then we toast to the people, of, people and, and Queen of Australia and I'm like, that's just not, not right. Mm-hmm. Anyway, one day I hope. Something for the One future. day I hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and then Labor Party. I volunteered on campaigns. Jan McFarlane was our local federal member at the time who was a very good local member of parliament. Uh, and, uh, and then the 2001 election came around which is when Jeff Gallup um, took government for mm-hmm. Labor in Western Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, I helped uh, in this area. The candidate for uh, the seat of Yokine, as it was, was a bloke by the name of Bob Kachura. Yes. Uh, Bob, um, uh, the uh, previous um, assistant police commissioner and very good community person and, and very supportive mm-hmm. of the multicultural community, I know, as a, as a, a police officer. Uh, so I helped him, but um, as... What happens in politics? Sometimes um, people, candidates, are required to win, to stand, I should say, in, in what are called non-winnable seats. So in 2001, I was the Labor Party candidate at 21 years old for the seat of Churchlands. I came third. Oh. <laughs> I didn't put a lot of time and effort because I wasn't expected to win and it was more important that we win some of the seats we should win. So I, I, I did that as a service to the party and it was a good experience for me. Uh, and then about a year later, um, there was a, a job going uh, with uh, Bob Kachura part-time and part-time with an upper house member for North Metropolitan, a bloke by the name, a very good bloke by the name of Graham Giffard, uh, and I got the job. Uh, mm-hmm. And then that started, uh, I worked in politics from that point in 2002 all the way up until March 2017 where I became a member of parliament. Mm-hmm. So I worked for both those two. I worked for Bob Kachura for nearly eight years. Uh, just here in Jundana behind the Red Rooster mm. uh, and helped Bob with the good work he did in, in Yokine. I also worked for four years for Kate Doust, who's now the president of the Upper House in Western Australia. Um, and uh, I had a very good time in her office. She was Shadow Minister for Energy, so I got to learn about the energy system and energy issues in terms of cost of living and power mm. and mm. transmission of power. Uh, and then in my last four, uh, four or so years, um, I worked for... Uh, Peter Tinley, who's now the Minister for Housing mm-hmm. in his electorate office. Uh, and in all that time, I, I, I always tried to teach myself things that w- were useful to that job. So I ended up uh, learning graphic design uh, and producing videos and social media, things online and things to help my boss and the party generally, uh, which, you know, I always – it's a very good career for people to, to do. And I uh, the best part about it, I got to help lots of people who are having difficulties and help my boss at the time help lots of people, which served me very well for my current role. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, back to sport for a second, though. The other part of sport in my life was um, playing cricket. So mm-hmm. I'm a cricketer. Uh, I'm not a good cricketer. I've, pl- I've played, I've played. I don't know, about 270-something senior games for the Chewett Hill Cricket Club. Say that again. How many games? About 270 games, I think, <laughs> since I was Lord. 14. Yeah. Uh, just up the road here at Grenville Reserve uh, mm. was our, used to be our main home ground. Uh, we're now in North Perth, and, and the club calls, calls itself North Perth, but as mm. the club knows, it'll always be Chewett Hill to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm a life member. I, I was, I've been secretary of the club for six or seven years over this period, one year as president um, and a couple of years as treasurer. Mm. Uh, I've been a captain a couple of times, a couple of premierships. Uh, and again, 
being in a good club where you have people from all walks of life come and play cricket with you from all different ages uh, was just a great um, a great experience and uh, I still try to play when I can uh, because you get to hear people's different points of view, where they come from, what's going on in their lives. Met some outstanding, um, well, blokes because I play with blokes, but I got to know all their families as well. So it's a pretty good family club. So, um, mm. And being involved in that club next door here at Grenville led me um, – to run for the City of Stirling Council at 25 when I was um, in 2005 uh, because the local cricket, the local facilities, if you remember, there used to be a community hall at Grenville Reserve. Yes. Um, it had been condemned and no one mm-hmm. could use it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, the septic tanks were falling in, so the City of Stirling basically locked it up and just said, no, nah, no one's can hire it out anymore. Um, the toilets and change rooms for any sport at, at, uh, at the Oval, uh, whether it be school sport or winter or summer sport, I remember in our juniors, some of the mums and dads were carpooling kids to the toilets at the BP down at the local at Main Street uh, mm-hmm. because the toilets were so bad. Um, they were neglected. The worst facilities in the city of Stirling. And I, I thought to myself as a Chudal resident as well and, and a, mm. someone who uses that, that Oval, that's not good enough. A lot of money goes to lots of other suburbs and that's fine. But we teach, I thought we got a bit forgotten around here. So I decided to run for council. Mm-hmm. And surprisingly, I came first. <laughs> <laughs> and so started my 12 years on the City of Stirling Council. 12 years. Uh, 12 years, mm. including a couple of years as Deputy Mayor. Uh, and mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, after, you know, City of Stirling is a very big council. The commitment is um, uh, huge as a yeah. councillor. It's like a, it was almost like a second full-time job, but very, very rewarding experience being on a local council. Mm. So that's sort of where how sport and politics all sort of intertwined and, and I got where I am where I am. How I... David... <laughs> David, I'll have to interrupt you there because it's definitely drinks time. You've got you need a glass of water, and we're going to well, it's well, it's a lovely spring day over here in Chewett Hill, and we're going to play a little bit of Vivaldi music while we have a breather. Vivaldi, the Four Seasons, and this season is spring.
David, uh, thanks for um, for telling us all that. Now, I must ask you one other thing. In your current um, position as a parliamentarian, could you just tell us about what what uh, your job is as a parliamentary whip? The whip. The whip. <laughs> Uh, so um, one thing I wasn't expecting to do when I got into Parliament, I'm very grateful to Mark McGowan for asking me to do this, uh, was to be the government whip in the Legislative Assembly. Uh, it's something I've done since the week after I got elected, I think, by our caucus, the week after the election in 2017. Mm -hmm. So the whip um, in Australia, and in all parliaments as far as I'm aware, there's a whip, um, there's an opposition whip, uh, a, a government whip, um, and sometimes minor parties will also have a whip. In Australia, the, the job's a bit different. If you ever watch the TV show House of Cards, um, whether the, the English version or the American version, uh, that starts off with the whips in those countries. Their job very much, they, they don't have, um, their members of Congress or Parliament uh, do have a bit more freedom to vote the way they want to on certain things. Mm. And it's the whip's job is to try to get them all together and try to vote the way that the party wants you to vote. Mm. In Australia, both Liberal and Labor... It, it's very rare for someone to what's called cross the floor. Mm. So that's not really the whip's job. The whip's job for me is members of parliament uh, have, um, we have a pair system. So if someone's ill or has an urgent parliamentary business or ministerial business or they have some family uh, business they need to attend to, uh, we make sure that the opposition and the government send the same amount of people out of parliament when parliament sits um, to match each other up. So you pair them off. Uh, which means when there is a vote taken, the voting remains the way the parliament should be. Otherwise, if the government was to send 10 members out and the opposition will stay there, especially in a close parliament, obviously the government could fall. So it's about a – it's an, and I have to get on very well with the opposition whips, National mm. Liberal Party whip. And basically we, we try to help the leader of the House, which is in, at the moment David Templeman, our minister for local government. Uh, we try to uh, help as much as we can run the chamber – when Parliament sits and make sure people know when they're speaking, when they have a question to ask, what's coming up next, always keeping an ear out for what's happening and trying to make the place run smoothly. Well, I think we can, just listening to you, I think we can see why the caucus elected you. You've been running around and so busy. And um, and also, um, I was going to ask you one other thing, David. I know you're a humble young man, but, but it's been great just to listen to you. Um, could Could you tell us what, Sort of got, uh, two two little things. What got you thinking about going into Parliament and Council? You, you touched on it earlier, but uh, what what's what's in other words, what's the spirit of David Michael? Uh, very much uh, being a Chewethall boy. Um, it started off with just being a local, wanting to do better things for my local area. So uh, you know, get that. That's what got me involved onto Council. Then when the when it got close to the 2017 election, uh, you know. I had to make a call whether or not I stayed on council or put my hand up for state parliament, and I, I chose the latter, mm -hmm. uh, which has been great. I've managed to do lots of things. I like fixing things, um, whether it's someone coming into my office, and I get this a lot, some, you know, especially pensioners and people who are having difficulties dealing with a government department, especially this day and age where everything's going online, uh, whether it's um, uh, trying to help with an issue where the council needs a bit of a push along or some assistance to solve someone's problem that they haven't been helpful on yet or helping local community groups and clubs and that sort of thing, mm. uh, trying to fix road issues or infrastructure issues at local schools. My, my office joke with me that they say I like to fix things. I have a big whiteboard in the office where we have we write up all the 
issues and problems that we know of in the area that I think that I can help try to fix. Mm-hmm. And 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 some of them are in progress because we've able mm. to got, we've been able to get some money on the state budget, or we've been able to talk to Sterling and ask that they're going to do some things, and we we help facilitate that. But there's always a list of things that aren't really moving, and that'll be my next lot of projects. I like fixing things, yeah. um, and I like to to you know some examples are Belcatta Senior High School basically. Uh, hadn't had uh, a refurbishment of the school since it was built in the late 1960s. Mm. Um, I don't know if you've been out to Amelia Street lately, but it is a massive building, the the um, upgrade that's going on there that's nearly open, mm-hmm. uh, $50 million. The school was desperately needed for it. And for the students and parents and teachers of that school, it's going to make a world of difference um, to, to their futures for the kids. And uh, that's going to be great when that opens, hopefully by the end of the year. Um, there's a whole heap of road projects that I get myself involved in to try to get money for and fix um, uh, and it, just seeing it on the ground um, I, I say to people and this is probably more of when I was in local council um, myself and my co-ward councillor at the time which was Giovanni Italiano um, we used to have a list every year of things we wanted to fix roundabouts, footpaths, drink fountains, playgrounds mm. we'd go to the budget process at the City of Stirling get a heap of stuff funded they'd be done the next year we never take credit for it. I'd, I'd hate taking credit for anything, to be honest with you. We don't take credit for it, but whenever I drive around the, the electorate now in the suburbs, whether it's you know Hammersley, Chilled Hill, Balcata, Osborne Park, Jundana, I drive around and I see things that I know I had a hand in and I see some kids playing on a playground or mm. people, a road a, a roundabout working a lot a lot better than it used to when it wasn't a roundabout. And I go, oh, we, we did a good thing. And that, that that's what drives me is making sure that our area is better. Mm-hmm. David, it's amazing. Um, it's amazing that uh, when I first asked you about coming into the station here, you you know I just felt drowned in um, enthusiasm and energy, and, and and I think that's the way um, people will see you, and and it's I think people wouldn't sort of not hate but uh, dislike politicians. I think people wouldn't wouldn't dislike politicians if they knew that there was plenty of people in politics like yourself. No, and there are, and they're on all sides. And this isn't a yeah. this isn't a Labor Party program. There are there are some people on the other side that um you know I I say this often. There are there are things that um some of some of the opposition at all, but some um we agree on much more than we disagree on, which is what makes Australia great. So um in terms of politics and yeah, a lot of politicians get a bad rap. But a lot do a lot of hard work and a lot of it goes, um, you know, a lot of them are like me, doing it for their local area or because they care about issues and people mm. and that sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, you're right. David, it's, life is meant to be enjoyed as well as, um, you know, get through the ups and downs, isn't it? Um, David, thank you so much for that. We've got one last request of you and that is, uh, after a little bit of music perhaps, we can... Um, uh, put a pair of scissors through the, <laughs> through the ribbon to officially open. Would you be happy to officially open the Global Chat Radio? No, sounds great. Because this is our really one of our first productions. Thank you very much, David.
sorry, our Friday Forum 425. Uh, this is, you'll be hearing this at uh, 4 o'clock in Western Australia, but of course because it's a global chat radio, you'll be hearing it at other times in various places and various times. So um, we look forward to hearing you next time. But usually here in Western Australia, you'll be hearing us at 4 o'clock in the 425. So once again, thank you, David. And you had another thing to say about... Um, well, we're about to cut a ribbon uh, to to uh, open the new studios here at Tuart College in uh, in Perth. Uh, so before I do that, I just want to do a big thank you to everyone at Global Chat Radio. I know you got Tim Benson and all the presenters here, especially Franco. Uh, I know uh, the I door knocked Franco in the lead up to the 2007 election, a couple of streets away from here, and he had all this set up in, in his front room, yeah. uh, all a bit crammed. Uh, so I'm very pleased that you've now found some accommodation, and I'm sure you go from strength to strength, filling up your programming slots and hopefully having lots of listeners because. One of the best parts about, about being an Australian is we have so many cultures and traditions, not only Indigenous, but all those migrants that have come here. We celebrate them with the food and the dance and the music, uh, and these are things that we should celebrate because that's what makes Australia great. So it's my absolute pleasure that I could be here today and to cut the ribbon that was tied between our microphones to open, up, open the new studios today. So thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure. Thank you, David.